0: Hello everyone and welcome back to Sully's Open Conversation after quite a long hiatus. Um, that isn't <laughs> that isn't out of choice but it was um yeah a very busy period which I'm sure me and Tanya will talk a little bit about in this episode. Um but it is amazing to be back in sunny September and today I am joined with Tanya. Welcome Tanya.
1: Thank you, so happy to be here.
0: Thank you very much, thank you. Um so how we like to start off um just let everyone know who you are
1: yeah okay (laughs) try and keep this simple so i'm tanya my pronouns are she her i'm currently 22 years old and i would describe myself as a mental health suicide prevention disability advocate um founder of a youth said organization called championing youth minds um i do a little kind of content creation around the topics and then also a member of the organizing committee and the battle of hope with yourself george
0: Very nice, thank you very much, Tanya. And if you could let everyone know one positive thing that you have heard, seen, or done recently.
1: I think probably uh, for World Suicide Prevention Day, I posted quite a raw, honest conversation, well, conversation, a video which sparked conversation um, as someone who's a suicide survivor. Uh, That's probably the most positive thing I've done recently just because I feel like that's triggered so much conversation not just amongst like people on the internet and people i know in my life but friends and family i've had quite a few like cousins and like distant relatives reach out um who normally wouldn't really we wouldn't really talk unless we saw each other in person um and just wanting to have that conversation which is really positive and then hopefully they can then have that conversation further on so yeah
0: amazing amazing yeah and that's kind of why we do what we do really isn't mm-hmm. it it's not just about kind of sparking conversations within the suicide prevention and mental health space, but it's about engaging everyone in that conversation really, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And that's the important part really, is that we need to open up the conversation and and, and create a space where people feel safe and supported to do so really. Mm -hmm. Um, So if you wouldn't mind kind of letting people know the journey and experiences that you've been through in order to be here today.
1: Yeah. So as I said, I'm a suicide survivor. So my journey started when I was around 12 years old. So
0: it's very young.
1: Being 12 years old, I mean, you don't really know much. You just kind of chill in and doing your own thing. <laughs> um, I pretty much had always struggled with my mental health since I was younger, but I never knew it was my mental health. So I would just be told that I cry all the time, or I'm just a really sensitive person. Like you know, it, out of my siblings, so the three of us, it was like Tanya is just that one who's always a bit difficult, who's always a bit kind of up and down. And then at that period of time, we were also going through quite intense bereavement. So on my father's side of the family, I think in the span of six years, we lost four um, immediate family members. Um, And that was all back home in India. So my dad had to to kind of move quite back and forth quite a lot. Um, And then I had a younger brother and an older sister, and then, you know, just a lot of things kind of at once. And um, my parents both had a really tough childhood. So they lost their parents really young. And they hadn't obviously been taught how to deal with grief. No one does. Um, So I think a lot of that time was understanding what grief is, trying to mask the grieving. um, Yeah. yeah, To try and look like I'm okay. You know, make sure mum's okay, Make sure my brother and sister are okay, And not stress anyone out because dad's in India and all those things. Um, And then obviously that went on for some time. And that then ended up manifesting in both physical and mental kind of symptoms so i started to experience chronic pain and fatigue at that age and so just started with kind of occasional pain and then it became more persistent and then also with my mental health that's when i first started experiencing suicidal ideation suicidal thoughts once again at that time i didn't know what it was i just felt like it was wrong to feel that way um and then when i was 13 that's when i first attempted on my life um and Yeah, I think I didn't know what I was doing at the time. I didn't tell anyone. Um, It almost as if I just picked myself back up and then carried on because I think we were going on holiday a few weeks later. Um, No one knows about it. Even now, like I think I've only really told my family like recently and they're just like, they can't comprehend because I think people always assume that they would have known and there would have been something really visible that would have told them that that was going on, which wasn't the case. Um, And then that continued, yeah. So when I was 15, I was diagnosed with depression and anxiety I went on antidepressants, I did all the kind of therapy that I had access to. Um, and then kind of throughout those years, I continued to attempt all my life kind of periodically. Um, and then when I was 19, I was finally diagnosed with the physical health stuff. So I lived with fibromyalgia, which is a chronic pain condition, um, and Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, which is a connective tissue disorder. Uh, at that time that coincided with kind of my most recent suicide attempt. I was at university at the time and obviously my university wasn't supporting me. Um, it was also the first lockdown that happened and, and it was just a accumulation of things. And um, at that point it was really bad that kind of my parents knew that it had happened. Um, and when I went to the GP, they kind of were just like, well, you're still here. So basically couldn't have been that bad. We'll refer you to our kind of like mental, local mental health services as an urgent priority. And then I spoke to them and they were like, well, <laughs> you're still here. You don't tick all the criteria. You've had such a long history of it. Just kind of go back to your GP if anything's, uh, you know, continues to be wrong. Um, and then at that point of time, I was like, OK, I need to... I have two paths, right? I can either continue as I'm going until I'm basically not here anymore mm. or I try and do something positive with it. And that's when I started Championing Youth Minds. And, yeah, it just started as like a Instagram page and then it just snowballed into so many more young people reaching out and saying that they was experiencing Certainly. similar things. Um, and then yeah, on this journey now, which feels quite surreal because no one kind of outrightly goes and thinks I'm going to end up in the suicide prevention mental health space, yeah. <laughs> so it's a strange one.
0: Yeah, and just amazing, Tanya. Yeah, you know how highly I, I think of you and just the amazing work that you do um, and everything that you've been through to get to this place is just incredible and it's just huge credits to you. Um, and in strange ways, I think our stories have quite similar paths Mm -hmm. but obviously in very different experiences as well Um, and I totally understand what you're saying in terms of like when you're a lot younger and Mm. you can still attempt suicide you can still end your own life at the age of 10 11 years old it may not be that you completely understand but there is certainly an element of knowing what you're trying to accomplish or or, or do Mm -hmm. um And that obviously adds to the stigma and the stereotypes as well is that, and then that's why it's so important to have these conversations in secondary schools, especially now because there are children that can access content online. It's not regulated. They could literally be fed particular types of information. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think it was only a couple of weeks ago, there was the story in Southampton where police were having to warn parents because a TikTok trend was challenging young children to take as many painkillers as possible to see who could end up in hospital the longest um Very. and whether they know the the damage that can occur even death mm-hmm. but actually what that was aiming to do um and again that that that's just the kind of dangers and the scary kind of environment that we're living in and that's some, one thing that particularly needs to be targeted i suppose mm-hmm. um but yeah, um, and then and then moving on, of course, to university. Mm. So um, yeah. lockdown was obviously an incredibly yeah. difficult time as well. Um, and I think, yeah, we were both in a very dark place. And to be honest, I don't think I really realised it, yeah. if I'm honest. I just was trying to suppress and ignore and distract myself. But ultimately, these things, if you don't address them, are going to manifest and, yeah. and, and come out in horrible horrible events mm-hmm. um and it's key then that you get the support that you so desperately deserve and need
1: I mean when you've lived so many years like that like if you've lived that like from like the age of like for me for example from 12 up until like when I'm in university it's your norm you don't remember anything so of course you're going to suppress it and you're going to displace it and you're just going to think that's just the way life is meant to be I think that's the scary thing when it comes to you know children and younger people is that it almost feels as if you don't know any different. And I think that's why it's so important to have those conversations and to raise the awareness and educate them from a really young age. So they're able to kind of take a step back and all other people around them are able to recognise any of those kind of dangers. Mm-hmm.
0: Definitely. And yeah, as as we know as well, and you mentioned masking, so the kind of signs, and symptoms aren't always there. And that's yeah. that's a really important lesson that we should all learn as well, is that there are actually points and masking the entire point is that you're trying to fit into society you're trying to make it look as though everything's okay because you don't think there's a place in society to appreciate and support you of of how you're feeling inside yeah um and i and i guess again opening up this conversation breaking down the stigmas is only going to help others stop masking yeah um make them realize it is okay to show how you're really feeling and what you're thinking Mm -hmm. and then We put the people processes in place to support them and and help them through what they need. Mm -hmm.
1: Definitely. Yeah. And I think the masking thing is interesting because, I mean, from the background I come from specifically, I come from a South Asian background. um, Masking is almost taken to the next level, whereas like in, in everyone's day to day life, people mask all sorts of for all sorts of reasons and all sorts of things. But I think that is probably what paid, played such a big role in my life. And even now I'm constantly battling, um, you know, to prevent myself from masking and not just with kind of in society in general, but I feel that like, as I've broken down those barriers with, you know, I'm I'm not masking anymore with you, for example, or others that I've met in the space, but then, or even with friends, but then when I go to family events or, you know, I visit back home in India, I find myself slipping back into those masking habits. so yeah it's tough though because it feels that you know you need to conform yeah accordingly to specific groups or specific interactions that you're having
0: and and you've raised a really important point though of course I, I said that it would be amazing to cover because it isn't covered enough and it isn't spoken about enough about the cultural and religious differences and the impact that that can have on mental health because there's obviously the positive side of it having faith and kind of like a, a deeper belief really does help with mental health but of course as you've experienced it can also create barriers as well.
1: Yeah, so uh, for some background, it's a bit complicated. Um, I was brought up both Hindu and Sikh, and anyone who's listening to this and is either one, they're gonna be like, that's not how it works. (laughs) Trust me, it works. There's a whole backstory to that, I won't bore you to explain it. Um, But that, and I was born in the UK, but my dad was from India. My mum was also born in the UK, but quite traditionally kind of raised So I was brought up as obviously a British Indian and there's so many kind of nuances in the fact that I never felt British enough and I never felt Indian enough. Same way I never felt Hindu enough and I never felt a Sikh enough and everyone always tells you that's not how it works. But yeah, it works for me. (laughs) Um, So I think that always kind of led to kind of putting pressure on my mental health in terms of like I didn't know what my identity was and that was something that I really struggled with. Um and also racism played a really big role in my life growing up. So I grew up in West Sussex, which um is, you know, is an area which lacks a lot of ethnic it's diversity. Wise, yeah. yeah. Um and I always struggled with kind of microaggressions and people not understanding the amount of times I've been in school and people say, Why aren't you wearing a headscarf? Well, wrong religion, mate. Like wow.
0: it's <laughs> I mean ignorance, even ignorance, isn't it? It's pure ignorance.
1: I mean like I think the one which hurt me well, one of the things that hurt me the most was I think it was like year five, and we were making sausage rolls in DT. And, um, you know, the week before, they like tell you what ingredients you need, and then you come in the following week with the ingredients. And it's quite a small class, so like everyone can hear everything. The teacher comes and stops me, she's like, you shouldn't be using pork, stop right there. And I'm like, why, why me? And obviously at this point, everyone's this thing. And she's like, well, you're Muslim, you can't eat pork. And I'm like, no, 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 my mum's has given me this. Like my mum obviously knows that this is pork. I can eat pork, I can't eat beef. And um, it just goes into this like weird confrontation where I'm trying to convince her that I can eat pork.
0: She's Um, telling you what religion, what what you can and can't eat.
1: I need to be eating, um, I need to like alternative. And it was just like the humiliation and kind of the isolation that racism kind of like put onto is so damaging. And I think it was only when I went to university, I went to university in London, where I realised that, okay, wait, I think I've kind of come out of that bubble slightly where I was the only one. Mm-hmm. Um, so that played a big role in my life. And I think also, I think anyone who's from like an ethnic background will understand that your parents prepare you for those instances. So they always kind of try and teach you that people will be racist, but you just need to kind of keep your head up and just ignore it. But Obviously, that's just, that just means that you're then suppressing all those emotions and those feelings that is caused by such interactions. And you almost become complacent to it. And I think parents become complacent to it as well because it's hard to then explain to a child why people behave like that because they shouldn't be behaving like that. Mm. Um, And then I think obviously, so that's just one of the factors. And um, yeah, I think in our community, we don't speak about mental health. Um, I was already struggling enough with the fact that having a disability, a physical disability, um was shameful enough and um I think my parents uh struggled with the fact that society makes you believe that it's your fault that mm. you probably did something wrong in your child's upbringing you caused this or that it's my fault as an individual that I've done something wrong something to do with my past life karma maybe if I was just religious more than it would just kind of like resolve itself um and before I even went to a GP I went to like a priest and they kind of suggested all these things I looked at my birth chart they told me that planet placement means that like give it another like you know x amount of time and it will be fine and I tried some like strange things so, like this necklace I wear now I wear it because it was expensive and I'm not gonna take it on <laughs> um but you know they told you that if you put like a certain amount of emerald with a certain amount of gold and wear it it will solve it um, I remember sleeping with like an upside down shoe by my head for it. was an upside down wow. shoe and like uh, water in a glass, a glass, no a steel glass. Um, and I used to sleep like that. Every morning, I'd have to then like find a, a tree really far away from home and like put the water there. And um, it was only when I was realised like, wait, this is a bit stupid. Like why? It's am I also
0: doing like this? just <laughs> absolutely anything and everything you can do but kind of look internally yeah. and kind of have have the psychological help. Yeah, it's
1: crazy. <laughs> I mean, yeah, and it's, it's no one's fault because it's like there's no education. Mm-hmm. That is the way things have run for years is that you, it's a problem. They believe it's a problem that's fixable.
0: That needs to be solved.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah and yeah. obviously, you know, people who care about you and love you are going to do whatever they can mm-hmm. to solve it. Um, And yeah, and then also the amount of times that people around me made me feel like, they used to suggest like if you do this prayer a couple of times a day, it will help or, you know, if you go visit to a temple and you do this. And I mean, there were so many times where like they'll say like donate X amount of like food um, and then, you know, things will just resolve themselves or do this prayer. And I mean, even now, it's interesting. I think I posted a few weeks back about um, Faith and Mental Health, a, a series well a short clip I did with Ben West. And um, I had a few people in my DMs actually suggesting prayers to me
0: really yeah and i so even after the entire article and yeah and, uh, they, they were still trying to kind of yeah push that agenda onto you
1: there was someone who um obviously i won't name names but there was someone who's actually a journalist based in the uk and based in india and they were interested in writing an article around suicide prevention and obviously suicide prevention in the south asian community and we were having this conversation they sounded like they really got it until they were like oh i really suggest you do these prayers like it will help relieve your all your problems and things wow. and i was just like we've had such a long conversation i thought i knew what you know what you understood really yeah, yeah. not um but you yeah, know it just goes to show and then you you feel like a bad person that turns you away from your own religion and i think what i what i said to ben and what i, I keep saying is that it's the cultural conditioning around religion and faith which makes it so hard for individuals who are struggling mm-hmm. in any in any circumstances but specifically with their mental health to seek support and to talk about it and cause community plays such a big role in it, you then eventually feel isolated. You either conform or you're the exact opposite. And I mean, even now I'm like trying to grapple my relig- my relationship with religion. Um, and one thing I always say is like faith is supposed to be between you and your like whoever you believe in or whatever you believe in. But there's so many touch points there which where people or beliefs try and get in the way. Um, and I speak to so many people who are in a similar position in terms of from the same community or similar communities. And they always say, you know, like, I want to to be connected to my faith, but people around me make me feel like I can't. Um, and it's so hard because you know people have these entrenched views and beliefs, but I think having conversation around mental to have the right conversations um, is so important to, you know, kind of break that stigma and break those barriers. Because if people don't know, you know, the correct even the correct terminology around mental health and suicide, then you, we can't really expect them to be having effective conversations.
0: conversations and that, Yeah, and, and I think that is why, specifically in suicide prevention as well, we focus so strongly on language because mm. language has the ability to kind of oppress or support, like, the, the choice of words. And in situations such as suicide that can be high risk and can be quite daunting, it is imperative that you get those words right and get Mm -hmm. those things right because the impact that 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 can then have can be fatal i mean that's 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 the truth and reality to it Mm -hmm. and i thought i find it really interesting you mentioning about kind of finding your identity and not knowing Mm -hmm. what what your identity is and in a in a different kind of way not with religion or culture it's more to do with my sexuality in terms of was I pretending to be someone that I wasn't because I knew growing up I had these internalized homophobias and that was all from societal pressure really mm-hmm. that I thought I couldn't be that person yeah. and then as you grow up and you start to kind of discover yourself and I think one of the really important things that unfortunately people discover when they're 40 50 years old is like you've just got to stop caring about what other people think yeah um because ultimately if you're constantly thinking about what other people think about you you're never thinking about what is making you happy yeah um and that comes with identity that comes with settling into who you know you are and discover and honestly it's difficult it's it is really difficult and and there are massive challenges and it can be really uncomfortable but ultimately it's purely there to benefit you really isn't it yeah
1: yeah and I think the thing people often think is that it's like a it's like a time a, a period of time where you do that work and then it's fine from that mm. point on but it's a it's a journey I mean even like I'm at a stage now where well I'm 22 and I feel like I've managed to come out of my like childhood and teenage years figuring out who I am and trying to get that but I know specifically from the community that I'm in give it a few years and the questions are going to start coming of like don't stop talking about what you're talking about no one's going to want to get married to you like oh you've got these physical health conditions how are you going to have children like who's going to want you I mean they still kind of are around but I I know that's just going to get exacerbated and I think it's just that an example of how yeah, it's a journey and there's so many instances throughout your life where you're gonna slip into situations where you either end up masking or you end up kind of feeling lost in terms of your identity. Um, but I think sometimes we don't appreciate that enough that like everyone, regardless of what life stage they're in or you know whether people think they're recovered or not, um, they're always gonna be grappling with something. Yeah.
0: And I think you mentioned there as well, kind of people pushing on you that are, oh, when are you gonna get married, have kids? we don't talk about it enough but there is like a societal pressure of a human lifetime yeah of like a of like a timeline of a human life sorry so it's like oh by 30 you're married by 32 you've got kids and like it people don't have to live their life that yeah. way That like, like that's just that's just become a societal norm and that's become something that people think is how you should live your life but ultimately like you know how to live your life like yeah. it is it, yeah. not down to anyone else mm-hmm. um and as soon as i let go of that kind of perception like i'm 26 turning 26 soon mm-hmm. i haven't had a partner for like four or five years mm. that's i mean i've been working on myself there have been incidences of course that my suicide attempt has been in that time period as well but i've used that to better myself and self-develop yeah. and both in a personal and professional way mm-hmm. to allow me to live life better Mm -hmm. uh, and and more fulfilled like uh, and i think that's a really crucial thing to do with mental health is that Mm -hmm. if you are if you're being who you think you you are uh, and enjoying it and really kind of looking after yourself i think that's as rich as you can be in life to be honest Mm -hmm. like regardless of the amount of money that you make or or the kind of cars you drive or the house that you have if it's not okay up there then none of that really matters at the end of the day
1: yeah, but I think social media makes it so hard. And obviously I'm an avid social media user and I love it because I wouldn't have met all these amazing people like yourself that I have. Um, and for me, it's, about, it's a great platform for sharing all the stuff that I want to share. But I think I really struggle with falling down that trap of the societal norms that are portrayed on social media as to by X age you're doing this, yeah. etc. And I think also short-term gratification has become so... Um, kind of important for our generation especially where it feels almost as if things are things are very methodical in the sense yeah. of like if you do xyz you will achieve this yeah, and yeah, there's yeah. a set time frame for it and um, whereas when you look at other generations they like you said they hit 40 50 and they have these realizations and they change the way that they want to do things um which I think is really difficult and I think even working in the mental health and suicide prevention space as well I think there's so much pressure as to how you should behave and mm-hmm. What you should achieve by a certain age as well, so I think a lot of people think that you're okay because you're doing the work that you're doing you're having the conversations that you're having, but I, I don't it doesn't make it any easier in fact, I think it makes it harder
0: i think I think again that's such an extremely important point to pick up on is that mental health and suicide prevention, especially as spaces, are kind of too polished, aren't they they're mm-hmm. like everyone everyone is obviously really nice but that is that is just a kind of common courtesy but when you actually look at kind of mental illness and conditions and suicide it's a really raw quite gruesome quite difficult thing to grasp and you hear countless stories of people who just cut people off because they are struggling mentally yeah or they have a suicide attempt and they're like i don't want to associate with that anymore I, i don't know how to deal with that kind of thing and you're like in the space, that isn't really reflected, is it? I don't mm-hmm. think. it. Yeah. it. It's it, it, People have the conversations around suicide and around mental illness and conditions, but to actually experience the darkest depths mm-hmm. of what that can mean and feel like, I think is quite far removed from how the space operates.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's something that we've obviously learned in the last year as well, yeah. is, to have, is that I think it's because... You know, we can all talk about mental health, we can all talk about suicide prevention, but obviously the perspective from which everyone's coming is so unique to their lived experience that I think often when people say things like, oh, you know, take a walk or practice some mindfulness, <laughs> no. it, it, it means so much from different, whoever's saying it. And obviously we talk about taking walks and being mindful, but it's very different from someone who's never experienced mental ill health and they're saying, have you tried going for a walk? No um as just as a small example and i think yeah it is really difficult and i think um it's just it's isolating because i think sometimes it does feel really competitive Mm
0: -hmm. yeah
1: um and i think it's just almost as if we should be all we are and should be all working towards the same goal but for some reason we're not working together
0: it's almost like people want to have their name on it first and it, it, it when you put it bluntly as for what it is, it's like almost people competing to save lives. And it's like mm. that, 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 that is a huge conflict of interest, mm. I think, because you, you've dragged kind of private organization, how they operate and kind of competition within yeah. a market. And you brought that into a charity space, which ultimately what charities should be doing is working together to achieve the same goal. Yeah. Not competing against one another on who can get to certain place first. Like that's It, it and that element of competition is what brings a certain element of kind of artificiality to the space yeah Yeah. um it needs more collaboration it does it needs more genuine relationships and connections where people do care and are consistently supportive and checking in and yeah like i say really really care about not just someone's experiences but what they can use those experiences to then achieve yeah um in in the kind of work that we've been doing recently like as soon as you meet another survivor you almost instantly have that mutual connection that level of understanding and you can start having conversations that you might not necessarily have with others in the space Mm -hmm. Um, and I find that really liberating yeah and refreshing yeah um, because it's real
1: yeah definitely and I think for me I've said this to you so many times I think I've really observed this kind of lack of representation in the space and i think that's something i want to challenge and change moving forward because i think there's so many barriers which stop people from having these conversations but i think there's also this acknowledgement as well that there are so many people who want to have these conversations and are working in the space however it seems like an echo chamber where certain voices are always amplified whereas those other voices never get their chance to be amplified and I think, um, yeah, it's a really an interesting dynamic because it's such a sensitive topic. So it's like, yeah. how do you have these conversations? How do you navigate saying and challenging, you know, people in the space and challenging the space itself when the intention is meant to be good. Yeah. Um, but once again, it can be so damaging for someone else's mental health. Like I know that we both have obviously had our challenging times being in this space. And I can speak for myself. Like I find it extremely challenging when I look around the rooms I'm in or look around where I am and I don't see people like myself because yeah, it's lonely, it's isolating. And then, you know, when you already have your own lived experience and your living experience, then it just means that, you, you know, you're gonna have those natural moments where things are harder than maybe they are other days.
0: Mm. And I think, yeah, to, to highlight as well, it's a huge credit to you to say that, although it is such a horrible thing that there, there aren't many people similar to you but to have you in that room is incredible like to have you have you in that position and to have your opinions and your experiences being heard and used Mm -hmm. is and we need more of it like that's 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 the plain and simple thing really we need more of it um you mentioned a little bit earlier (laughs) about kind of the work that we've been doing over the past year um so tanya and i actually met through the baton of hope didn't we yeah um i think you joined probably last Last June was it? Was it was yeah, last
1: time? summer yeah. And
0: then I came on board around last November. So yeah, it was. It, it, <laughs> we were quickly swept into yeah. um, an incredible, an incredible movement, campaign, organisation, charity. Now, mm-hmm. um, Baton of Hope UK. Uh, last episode, last series, I interviewed Mike, who is the co-founder. And yeah, I suppose we should just talk about some of the work <laughs> that we've been doing involved with that. So. I suppose Baton of Hope was looking and I think did achieve the UK's largest ever suicide prevention initiative. Mm-hmm. Um, we had the special baton made by Thomas Light, who are jewellers to the His Majesty the King. And we took it around 12 cities in 12 days, <laughs> yeah. which Tanya managed to do all 12.
1: Yeah, right in the end. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when we look back at it, it's incredible what we've managed to achieve. And I think we've all grown and learned so much through doing it. I think it's been really challenging as well to, yeah, just go on this journey, you know, meeting, we've probably met thousands of people now who have been impacted by suicide in some way. And um, yeah, being a group of people who have been impacted as well in some shape or form has been incredibly challenging but incredibly rewarding um and i think it's it's is learned i mean it's taught me a lot and i've learned a lot around kind of what the gaps are and i think how they need to be tackled like for example this thing i mentioned about representation the previous point i think i've learned a lot through that um and it shows that people are ready to have a conversation they just need to be supported and that conversation needs to be facilitated for them Mm -hmm. Um and I think yeah, it was it's been an amazing thing that we were able to do and just those twelve days feel like a blur because it was just it was it was, so intense, was yeah.
0: It? And I think it w- we're we're in a very privileged position to have essentially seen a UK wide snapshot of mm-hmm. what suicide prevention looks like yeah. right now. Um and I say privileged because I mean the the amazing people that we met, the organisations mm-hmm. Um, just everyone involved that helped put it together an incredible incredible job yeah and like there's no wonder there was kind of so many challenges because I don't think anything like that has really ever been done before yeah um but again yeah of course those experiences as well allowed us to really get an insight into the changes that need to occur and I think probably in the last 10 to 15 years lived experience has become something that they've realized is quite important in the space but i think there's still a long way to go for that Mm -hmm. i think i think to continue highlighting and not just kind of using those experiences from others but getting them to lead projects and really giving them a pedestal and a space to help others um like Realistically, kind of with us seeing other people do amazing things who have been through similar experiences and similar dark places in our in our minds, mm-hmm. it's it's just like maybe I can maybe I can do that too. Maybe yeah. maybe I can get there too. Um, and it, it's just that maybe that is that slight glimmer of hope that someone might need and to 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 get them on their path to to recovery.
1: Yeah, and I think when going back to your about being privileged I think we're extremely privileged to have seen all of that at the age that we have because I think um often you know I think in the last like decade if you see most people who work in this space obviously have a lived experience some of them but a lot of them have decades of experience whether that's corporate experience or you know just experiencing the working world that we necessarily haven't had to that extent so I think to be able to be there and um kind of come from a different angle as a young person who is you know navigating a lot of things and has that perspective for example of being a young person after covid or during covid or you know what the university and the education sector is like right now I think that was extremely kind of rewarding Mm -hmm. Um, and it just goes to show that you know you don't need to have a specific background to be involved or to lead projects or to you know influence change and you know mobilize people across the country and encourage them to share their stories you just need to be you and you just need to like you know just get together and do this and I think that's probably why we've gotten along so Mm. so well is because there's that commonality in terms of like okay we we just got swept into this and we didn't know what to expect but I don't think anyone knew (laughs) what to expect
0: to be honest and it's just
1: yeah it's just been the most incredible learning experience and I think it's something that can never be replicated in the same way again yeah
0: uh, yeah i can certainly vouch for that i don't think i'll i mean only being kind of as young as we are and we've got so much of our life ahead of us to to have had that experience as you say at such a young age you almost it, it almost feels like it didn't happen yeah. at some <laughs> some points it was almost like you were just so caught up in it and we were all working so ridiculously hard to push it over the line yeah um the you just get caught up in it don't you mm-hmm. I suppose and it took us a little while for both of us to find our feet again after it didn't it because yeah. it was almost like a whirlwind and then we'd finished we we ended up in Westminster we went to number 10 we met the Minister for Mental Health Maria Caulfield and then it just kind of stopped
1: yeah yeah <laughs> we
0: had to we had to actually stand still for once again and and yeah. I, I remember when I first kind of started talking about my own mental health journey and I was just like the reason why I was so kind of unhappy was because I was constantly on go and I was constantly mm. moving and like when you stop and stand still and actually have time to think is when I didn't know what to do with the thoughts but mm. it's kind of what happened after the tour I suppose there was so much going on and there was so many things to be done and going from city to city kind of every evening to then be up at 7 a 6am <laughs> in the morning the next day to, yeah. to start all over again just in a new city with new people and new organizations it was yeah. it was a wild ride was it
1: <laughs> i mean like you know the way i would describe it is like if you stood up and you spun round and around once you stop it takes time to accustom. yeah 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 um and it was like that and i think the 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 biggest thing for me was that i had been in a space before in in the last like year or two years before obviously this tour where i had had people reach out and tell me their stories and ask for the kind of advice and I'd signpost them and I'd listen to them and that a lot of that was virtually. Um but to be on the ground for twelve days back to back and having people tell you all of these stories of their lived experience um is extremely challenging and I think for me that just really highlighted the importance of protecting your own well being. Definitely. And I think it's it's hard because you when you have a passion and you want to help and you want to make a difference, you almost put yourself on the back burner, yeah. which is so counterintuitive considering <laughs> to what you're trying to achieve. Yeah. <laughs> but I think, yeah, I think that's why this—the time after that was just so important to figure out, okay, what do I need and what does I look like for me. And I think having these conversations and things are amazing. But how are you feeling throughout all of that? I think is a really kind of key question I'm going to ask myself moving forward.
0: Yeah, I think as we say, the privileged position, it just provided so much insight and so much education and learning and development yeah. in such a short space of time. Yeah. Um, and I think now, I think I can speak for the both of us, the kind of positions that we're in now, I think has really, really benefited for what we then want to move on and go and do. Yeah. Um, and it's exciting. I, yeah. think, I think for the first time in a long time, it seems really exciting the future and what could potentially happen and change and develop in the mental health and suicide prevention space yeah. so that we can save lives, so that people don't need to get to crisis point, we can actually stop them from getting to the crisis point. And then we can stop people from being bereaved by suicide in the first place. And I mm-hmm. think that's, that's, the number one, that's the number one goal is like, if you are looking after those experiencing suicidal thoughts or have attempted suicide before, if you can get to them before anything further then kind of comes about, you are you, you're stopping bereavement from occurring, mm. and, and ultimately that is that's the goal. Yeah, that is the goal.
1: Yeah, and I think just going on those those twelve days was such a short time frame, but to hear people saying that this has saved their life just goes to show how impactful and or it is, and it just goes showing moving forward. It was almost like just a, a glimpse into what we need to be doing moving forward and you know the how much that's helped people and having people reach out and say this saved my life or this saved my brother's life or you know like this has helped me in this situation i've been able to reach out i've been able to find a community of people who are experiencing similar things to me it's just so powerful and i think we we kind of knew what we were setting out for but at the same time we didn't yeah. we didn't we didn't know we knew it, it was it would make sense in our minds but after a year of just being engrossed in it you don't know what the impact's going to be like and i think part of the time we needed afterwards was just to digest, digest everything
0: it 100% because
1: um, it is such a big thing when someone's telling you that starting a, con- starting a conversation that you've been in a part uh, been a part of initiating has stopped someone from attempting on their life is a huge huge yeah. thing yeah
0: and and i think it's so easy for us to we are quite humble and and <laughs> we do just constantly want to strive for more and i suppose that's an element of perfectionism and mm. just kind of never being satisfied but i think that yeah a really important part is just that the impact that has had on so many people's lives in such a short space of time is just yeah. like it's incredible it yeah. is incredible um and yeah we should we should all be so ridiculously proud of ourselves for <laughs> for, for achieving it and and I look forward to seeing what, how it how it develops and moves forward.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm excited. It's like, we know it's the right time. Changes are coming, and yeah, I think people are ready for it, and people have an appetite for it. So, you know, just I'm excited for what we're going to achieve moving forward.
0: Amazing stuff. Um, I think that's quite a nice, <laughs> nice, n- nice way to end on. Um, so, just before we go. Uh, what is one particular mindful technique that you employ that you think others could try and benefit from?
1: I think my favourite one recently has been, my therapist told me this, because um, I really struggle with overthinking and just my mind running at a million miles per hour. Um, she just said that, you know, when you have a thought or any kind of that wave of anxiety or that wave of like just a horrible feeling, she was like, literally just shout, stop in your mind, stop and then instruct yourself to take three deep breaths. And then after that, sit and think, what is around me? Where am I? And then use kind of tap into all your senses. What are you breathing? What are you smelling? What are you t- tasting? And then by th- she was like, by that point, you would have forgotten what you were worrying, about. worrying about. And then I tried it and I was like, oh my goodness. Like, <laughs> what am I even worrying about? So I would definitely recommend that. And that's something that now I'm using for a lot of things. So as soon as I start to feel worried or any of those physical sensations come that i'm like oh my god i'm starting to feel anxious i think that's just helped me stop and just ground or even when i'm having a conversation with someone and uh, you know something that someone might have said might have just you know
0: set you off yeah Yeah,
1: yeah. um or just you know before going to bed is something that's been really helpful as well because i struggle with sleeping so definitely recommend just shouting stop in your brain and then taking some deep breaths and then just grounding yourself with kind of your senses and what's around you at the moment
0: amazing amazing thank you so much tanya um, it's been an absolute pleasure um as always and yeah i look forward to seeing um how, how, how everything progresses
1: yeah like guys thank you
0: thank you everyone else for watching and listening and we'll see you on the next episode of sully's open conversation bye